Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Jesus Included Me, the conversation-based podcast devoted to the sharing of personal narratives of inclusion, or lack thereof, or both, in the Catholic Church and society life at large as women. I'm your host and grateful founder, Sarah Ambrose, and today we have Rebecca Collins with us. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Rebecca. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. We met at Ascension, and I know that you're getting your MDiv at TNU Theological, which is so fantastic. <laughs> how is that going, and how are you know what is your spe- your um, specific study within that um, program? Uh, it's going well. I'm in my third year, and uh, I'm just starting my thesis right now. So I'm focusing in systematic theology. Um, with a little bit, I'm, I've taken also many classes on church history, but my thesis will focus on theology okay. as a kind of reparation work. So I'm, I'm, I've written a paper before on how, um, how theology can be an act of reparation, specifically when talking about um, indigenous Catholic dialogue. So I'm focusing that, hopefully, in Montana okay. to look at the legacy of missionary activity there and how an act of reparation could be to actually have Catholic theology change. Oh my goodness, that's um, fascinating. Yeah, based on ecological themes. Now you you went to college in Minnesota, right? Not Montana. Where Montana, you yeah. Went to, oh, so my sister's in Minnesota. Okay, so you have yeah. a personal connection to this then, definitely. Yeah, well, I was an environmental studies major. Okay. So I came into Union um, after I did the Camino de Santiago. That's but, right. Yeah. It was actually part of my, um, partially part of my work in environmental studies and English. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a walk. It's a, it's a yeah. hike. As yeah. well as a you know, spiritual endeavor. Absolutely. A pilgrimage. And so it wasn't until the Camino that I realized those two things were linked and that I needed to be focusing on ecological theology. Wow. But in ecological theology, especially within a tradition, you have to focus on the narratives that were excluded, including Native American narratives. Did you do that walk alone? I have a friend who actually just did it, and she told me that they are now, because it is in such high demand, but no one wants to go through the whole endeavor mm-hmm. of it, they're um, bringing in cars and um transportation to have people start at certain places <laughs> and then you know like some some sort of shortcut I guess yeah yeah uh yeah they do do that I did it alone yeah um, wow, good for you. how long did it take uh it took two and a half months but I was also wow. you know I did get injured halfway through and so I there were parts that I had to skip so I actually I started in Le Puy France okay. which is kind of near Geneva okay Switzerland oh gorgeous and um walked south in, um, to the Pyrenees, okay. where I met up with the, the usual start, which is Saint John of Poudreport. Okay. And then I watched the Camino Frances. But I was one of those people who made use of the cars every once in a while. Well, I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially since you got injured. How did you get injured? What happened? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I. I'm such a nerd that <laughs> I spent like three. I I was doing it as an independent study. Okay. Like semester of okay. independent study, focusing on pilgrimage history, pilgrimage literature, and uh, environmental writing. Wow. And so I had spent the entire summer reading and doing all of that and getting like very, very wrapped up in all of it. And so the training kind of 
fell yeah. by the wayside. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't, you know, it's a kind of hard route. I mean, I'm like a very active person, but yeah. you have to make sure that like specifically you can walk. And, you know, running is different. And yeah. Carrying stuff with weights is different. So I think I just found out that my knee. Yeah. It's very weak. <laughs> <laughs> it was all part of the pilgrimage, you know. Yeah, absolutely. The thing that I'm loving about hearing, you know, talking about your work is that you integrate it into the real world. You have these studies, and then you go <laughs> out and you find a way to make it really tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really fantastic and really what Jesus and Kudli is trying to do as well. Oh, good. Yeah. It feels like that, yeah. Yeah. Based on what you said. Yeah. So maybe we can talk a little bit about your relationship with Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, so you and I met in September, mm-hmm. um, and we met at Ascension Church. Mm-hmm. Um, what? So, and you got confirmed. Mm-hmm. So is there any chance that you could tell us a little bit about why you ended up getting confirmed at that time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. it's, it's a weird story. Um, so I've been Catholic my whole life. That's what I thought, yeah. yeah. I was, you know, baptized as a kid. Yeah. Um, I, well, I remember getting baptized because um, my parents waited until my sister was born as well. So I was four and my sister was one. Uh, so it's one of my first memories. And I was really afraid of the holy oil and because I was afraid that it was like shampoo and it would get in my eye. God, this is, <laughs> this is fascinating. So you literally have a memory of, I mean, I guess when yeah. people do get baptized later in life, they have a memory, but that is, mm-hmm. that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I threw a tantrum. Yeah. No, like, not a real tantrum, but I was like, no, daddy, it's going to get my eye. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. But it didn't, it's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I grew up Catholic. I was in the children's choir. Um, I was really, really attached to my Catholic church mm-hmm. as a kid, St. Anthony's. Where did you grow up again? Um, in Oregon. In Oregon. Yeah. Okay. And that's where you got married. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I um, went to St. Anthony's for a while. Um, and But my parents were also a little bit ambivalent about just um, how sexist yeah. the church could get. Yeah. So they kind of had me going around to a lot of different churches. And then when I was in middle school, we started going to Mass every week at a Trappist Abbey, mm. actually. Out in Oregon wine country. Wow. Yeah, and we would like listen to church music on the way there and then go to the abbey, and it was like very quiet and contemplative, and that's what I knew. Mm-hmm. I was always obsessed, obsessed with Catholicism, and at the same time, you know, there was so much that even from a young age was problematic yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I remember I had a priest who, I mean, he would give entire sermons about football. It doesn't, I think it's like a genre of like a <laughs> sermon, actually. Across the country, there's like, well, how can I relate to the laity? Yeah. Talk about football, football, which is so masculine. Which is so masculine. Yeah. And then I, you know, I was 13 and I found out, I didn't really think about it much. And my mom said, you know, she, it was clear to her that I really loved spirituality. Yeah. And she said, well, maybe you should be Episcopal. I don't know, Rebecca. That's really yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was the first time I found out I couldn't be priest and I really really? yeah and so yeah and then but I was so attached to the Catholic Church no matter where I went all the other churches I love them all but I 
just kept coming back to Catholic Mass. Yeah. And to Mary and the Rosary and all of that. Yeah. And I ended up. Um, so it's the tangible things. It's the tangible things. Yeah, the symbols. And of my own choosing, I went to um, a Catholic all girls school. That's right. 25 miles from my house in downtown Portland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I would take the, mat, the train in every day. It took forever. Um, but it's because I was really attached to the mission of the Sisters of the Holy Names. Okay. So they were the, the sisters who founded that high school. And they, I, I was, our family was good friends with two of them. Okay. Did a lot of good work in my hometown, Forest Grove. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I went. And it was a very empowering experience. And at the same time, I was watching the Vatican, yeah. you know, double down on um, their control of nuns. Mm-hmm. When I was 17, mm-hmm. of American men specifically. So it was just, it's always been a very weird experience. Yes, yeah. And when it came time, when I was of the age that you normally get confirmed, 15, mm-hmm. I just, I went to one class and I just thought, I can't, I don't want to get confirmed until women can be priests. Yeah. But that never happened. Yeah. It hasn't happened. And uh, I continue to love the Catholic Church. Church, yeah. And I do love Ascension, so yeah. I did it, and here I am. If women could be priests, do you think that that would definitely be something you would think about? It would be, um, yeah. I would definitely keep it in mind. What I'm realizing more and more is that um, I do think, to an extent, I do feel a call. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have taken that very seriously yes. if I had had the opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I do feel a call, but I think at the same time, a call is larger than the priesthood, which I think is what people say on all sides. Yeah. But what's not larger than that is the feeling that you are heard. Yes. So really, I think I want to be heard. Yeah. And when there are no roles or very few roles for women, mm-hmm. not even not just as priests. But as voting members, yeah, in the Senate, yes, and thank you to women's organization for <laughs> being out there protesting. Yeah, that's what matters to me. I just, you know, I've put so much energy and so much love into this church, and I want yeah. to love it back intellectually yeah. and spiritually. Yeah, and at some point, it's like what you know, something's got to give here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something, some, something. Well, I mean, and you speak to exactly what I'm contemplating is. This idea of being re- obsessed with the Catholic Church spiritually—it's—it's it, it's, you know what um, what is going to work for you. And mm-hmm. um, I was just talking to Father Carney a couple of days ago, and um, kind of addressing that question that women get all the time of why have you stayed? Mm-hmm. You know, what is why would you? Right. And um, I've really been thinking about that recently, and the only explanation I can try to offer is that um, Catholicism has a respect for the Holy Spirit that's Mm. um, very real and very powerful and um, a true reflection of, you know, its reality in my own life. Mm -hmm. And um, the way in which they go about it with tangible expressions and symbols Mm -hmm. and um, 
its celebration is just something that always brings me back to this this um, form of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, but exactly the term of being heard is also another way of saying include me. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what I'm interested in exploring with this um, project. Mm-hmm. Um, do you happen to have a um, an example of when you, since we have been talking about your, your youth and your upbringing mm-hmm. of um, inclusion or exclusion that kind of sticks with you? Mm-hmm. I have, um, to give you some time to think about that, my aunt, who um, I call her my aunt, she's not my biological aunt, but she's my godmother, and she told me about this story when she was a kid, and I told Father Carney this too, when she was in um, elementary school, I believe, she would go to gym class every single day, and no one would pick her. Isn't that tough? Um, you know, when they pick the gym teacher has two captains come up and they say, okay, everyone pick who they want to be, which is like a very, if you think about it, a yeah. recipe for disaster. But one at a time, and she was always the last one. Hmm. And um, finally, her gym teacher said, when she was noticing that she was being picked last every, last every single time, she said, what is Tessa's name spelled backwards? And no one knew the answer. And she said, it's asset. <laughs> and ever since then, she was picked, you know, within the first couple rounds. So what is so interesting to me about that is that it came from a position of authority. Yeah. Someone had to, someone in the position of authority had to say, no, include that person. Mm-hmm. And then everyone followed suit. Yeah. So it's such um, it's such a shame when a religion that's based so much on order, hierarchical hierarchical order, um, it could be so easy for everyone else who's participating if someone just said include them. I think what you're saying about power mm-hmm. and how we need to hear from people in power. Yeah. The words include me, mm-hmm. or these people need to be included. I remember when I was in high school, it meant so much to me that a priest would do that. Mm-hmm. And I thought every time like that a priest came to my school for a mass, yeah. I thought this is going to be the day that he says something, something about the fact that we are all women in this room, mostly, mm-hmm. other than a couple male teachers. And they never did, never once. And I always left angry. And it was so, you know, I think a lot of people would think that that is irrational, but, you know, it's about acknowledging your audience. Right. It's about acknowledging the fact that there were 400 girls in that auditorium, or 600 girls who were strong and intelligent, and they were about to do so much for society. But to the priest, all they needed was a a condescending moral lesson sometimes. Some of them were amazing priests. You know, they would give amazing homilies that we loved. But what I find is that when I grew up, Mm -hmm. right, when I turned 15, 
with such a love for the church. And then I realized that there was no formal role for me to express that love other than as an academic. Right. It made me angry. Mm -hmm. And I felt like there was nowhere to go. And the, per the person who would have been able to talk me through that, yeah. there were so many teachers, there were so many nuns, I never heard a priest say anything about it. Yeah. Never once. Yeah. Not until when I was an adult. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, Interesting. That got to me. Well, and I've, I've told you a little bit about my background with Catholicism and how Ascension is actually my first experience with an institution mm -hmm. and um, how I grew up with it through my grandmother and she took me to church sometimes, mm -hmm. but I never actively went to a a church by myself um, mm -hmm. until I got to college. Mm -hmm. And so my first experience with, the, with Catholicism, and I know I got lucky, mm -hmm. is with Father Carney ending his masses, mm -hmm. saying that everyone here is included and not only included, but yeah. is vital and enriches us in the, as so a community. Much, yeah. And um, I know what, I mean, I know what it did for me. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just, I always think about it, like even if, just the the words of inclusion, what it, um, how it can influence people to participate, mm -hmm. um, and at a time of such crisis, you think, God, wouldn't that be an easy way to just do it mm -hmm. to get more people involved? Absolutely. So interesting. My other, um, you know, my friend Anna, and um, I've told you this too, but I was thinking after the last time we spoke privately a little bit more about it. I know how much those words mean to her, and she's not Catholic. She, mm -hmm. um, she was raised Quaker, but she came to Mass with me. And when my sister, when we were in Germany, asked her about Ascension and asked her you know, about her um, own evolution with Catholicism, Anna's response to Father Carney's words weren't just, it was amazing because I felt included. It was, I knew that everybody I could possibly ever love would be. Oh, yeah. And so it's inclusion just, it isn't just about feeling included in yourself. It's also about knowing that simply the process of conclusion is being enacted upon. Yeah. And I thought that was so powerful and mm -hmm. so interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And that, what you, tell, what you just told me, I mean, that is just 400 girls in one room and mm -hmm. to not acknowledge. Yeah. I mean, that's the word that comes to mind for me. I mean, when my, my sister also went to that school, and she says that when mm -hmm. the, the officiant came up and said, I think you'll all make great teachers and nurses. Yeah, so he, yeah, he acknowledged them, but in a very... Right. And I think the other part of inclusion is that you can't, it's not just about saying it. It's about, you know, what you do outside of Mass. I've had so many priests who have not made eye contact with me, who don't know my story, who yeah. just haven't bothered to learn. Which is just, I mean, it's a community within a church. Yeah. And you're the leader of that community. Right. And that's kind of, you know, what I'm, um, I'm really trying to zero in on, is that, you know, we can really do something with the community in a way that we do create, mm -hmm. you know, possibilities for feeling included, mm -hmm. um, because the community is much more powerful than the church, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I agree. For sure. And I know most people, that is their story right there. Yeah. And I think, um, at least for me, I mean, there are so many priests that I do love to this day. Right. Right. Father Schwab. I have, there are priests here uptown that are just amazing. Yeah. Um, at my school. But really, really what made me Catholic mm-hmm. was my grandmother and my mother. Yeah, and the women. The women and um, Sister Barbara and Sister Judy. Yeah. And the Holy Name Sisters at, at uh, Union. Yeah. And uh, all of the teachers yeah. at my high school. And I think, um, yeah, I think the lady doesn't get as good credit. No. Yeah. The warriors of the faith. Mm-hmm. I walked, it's funny, about two weeks ago, it was a Friday night, and I thought, I, I have to go to Mass. Um, and I knew that Ascension did a 7 p.m. Mass. And um, so for anyone who is interested in Ascension Church, it's on 107th and Broadway, and mm-hmm. it has a huge Hispanic influence, and it's absolutely wonderful. And I do a lot of Spanish Masses, and I did not know that the 7 p.m. Was a Spanish mass. Oh, I do not speak very much <laughs> Spanish, but I walked into the mass and um, I couldn't walk out because when I walked in, mm-hmm. I saw about thirty women on the left side of the church, shawled in white, singing the words of Christ, mm-hmm. and I had to sit down mm-hmm. because it was so much strength and so much power. Yeah, and I just. I sat there and I didn't know a word of what was going on. Yeah. Um, but I felt what was going on. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's so much strength that comes from the feminine within the church. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was obviously meant to be to have that experience because I had never I never quite seen it like that. Mm-hmm. Like seeing all those women up there. Yeah, and even her vigil mass. I remember. Um, mm-hmm. Just all of the music and all of the strength. Don't I miss it? <laughs> that was like the best three hours of the life. I know it was so good. It was so beautiful, and yeah, I had no I was idea like, it was going to be. Did yeah. you have any idea that it was going to have all that music? And no. Was, oh yeah. my gosh, it was so. When she's saying, "I know that my redeemer loveth." Oh my gosh, it was. <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> yeah, I did too. It was really good. I had it, and I had an interesting experience. I so I got my feet washed on Holy mm-hmm. um, Thursday, and I had an interesting experience that was really moving. There was um, a woman standing behind me and the other people who were getting their feet washed, mm-hmm. and um, when you say the um, Our Father. It's traditional in Spanish culture or in Spanish mass to hold hands. And mm-hmm. we, we, you know, at this church, regardless, a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the woman behind me had, had saw that um, me and the young man <laughs> next to me weren't holding hands and doing it. And so from behind, yeah. she grabbed our hands and put them together. And it was, <laughs> at first, I was hysterical, like, hysterically laughing, like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. But then I thought, God, how poignant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and it's about u- uniting the different energies and bringing them all together. Yeah. 
and to her it was like you mattered for that ritual. Yeah, like you, yeah, like take part, girl. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Isn't that? Were you there at that mass? I can't remember if I at the vigil. Oh, at Holy Thursday. Yeah, I know you were at the vigil. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went to the Catholic worker house on Holy Thursday. Oh, can you tell me a little bit of bit more? Now Abby works there, right? The girl that I met. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I worked there last year. That's so right. Okay. We're both in the Master of Divinity program at UU right. Seminary, and so I saw on that. the I saw on the woman's ordination because she's there, right in room. Yeah. And I saw a photo of her, and I was like, I just met her. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, she was really funny. Yeah. She just got back. I was like really tired, but I bet. It sounds well, amazing. And also, what happened with Kate McLee? Uh, I maybe McLee. How do you yeah. pronounce her name? I'm never sure. I know. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. What was there was something else like Abby said that um, she was doing something. It was just like chanting or holding hands that if people had, if the police had seen her, they would have, you know, reacted. Yeah. yeah. And people got their passports taken. Well, that's a, I mean that's what I that's what I read is that the second the police came, all they were they were like, "Give me your passport." Yeah. And they had to just hand over the passport. Yeah. Insane. And I don't really under, I mean, they were peaceful protests. There was nothing really going on. The chants were pretty benign. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was very peaceful. <laughs> it was like the most peaceful protest I've ever seen. Yeah. So, I don't know. It seems like a very outsized response. Yeah. Honestly, they probably feel threatened by women in the church. Yeah, absolutely. Which to me just means that we have the moral authority here. Yeah. Wait, so you were asking about Catholic workers. Yeah. I took you on a journey there. Yeah, so I did my field field education. So okay. traditionally, if you get ordained, you do field education. You go to a seminary that um, isn't part of any one denomination. So okay. when you go through the MDiv, it's customary to do field education, okay. which is just, it's a practicum. Right. And so a lot of people go to churches or do some kind of chaplaincy, and Abby and I go to Mary House, okay. um, the Catholic Worker House here, right. where Dorothy did. Yeah. Spent her last days. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Could you tell, you told me this privately, but just so that um, viewers can hear about Union's relationship with Catholicism and the women. Oh, the commissioning? The commissioning. Yeah. So Union has commissioning services Mm -hmm. um, around the time of graduation. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, they're used for people who won't be ordained in their denomination, but who have done the work. Mm -hmm. And it, so, and now it's kind of evolved to just a commissioning for people in traditionally underrepresented or, um, you know, oppressed groups. Mm -hmm. So there's a queer commissioning, there's a, um, lots of different, there's so many different commissions. (laughs) Um, But it all started because there were so many Catholic women there in it was either the 70s or 80s, so kind of on the tail mm-hmm. of Vatican II. Mm-hmm. A lot of women wanted to go and get theological training. Right. And they went through an MDiv program at Union mm-hmm. to, you know, kind of talk to people in an ecumenical spirit, but also learn about their tradition. Mm-hmm. And they got the MDiv, and at the end, all of their peers were going on and getting ordained, but they obviously <laughs> couldn't be. Yeah. And so they were the original commissioning service. They're supposed to be original. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It 
it really is a nice legacy. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. Of course. <laughs> so before I let you go, I end every single segment with asking two very short questions. Sure. The first one being, when you look at Jesus, what do you see? I see someone who sees me in all of us, mm -hmm. who suffers with us, mm -hmm. and who calls us to a, a life greater than the one we know. Beautiful. Well said. <laughs> and then the last question is, when Jesus looks at you, what would you like the world to know he sees? I think he sees audacity and courage at the end of the day. That I can agree on. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> thank you so yeah. much, Rebecca, for joining yeah. me. And thank you, listeners, for listening. And I look forward to hopefully having you with me on the next segment. See you soon.